night's lesson was put in my mind to present oh, back last November, December or so because of some Bible studies that I've had with a man who has become a little more than an acquaintance now. I wouldn't say that we were bosom buddy friends, but I wouldn't say we were enemies either. Uh, you would call him probably a, a friend if he were, if, if, he were, if you were in this relationship, I guess. Back last October, I put in the newspaper that I would love to study with anyone. And if they could convince me that their denomination was right, that I had a family of six that would work hard in their denomination. I've told you this story before. One man called me and told me I was a crackhead. But one man answered that call. And he and I have been studying the Bible together since last October. We just had another Bible study this past Monday night. And the reason that I, I, I got this in my mind to present this lesson is because not only from him... But from others that I've studied with, I've seen a disturbing pattern, not only in the church, but, but in the denominations as well. A disturbing pattern to discount God's Word. I have encountered many recently who subtly twist God's Word to mean what they want it to mean. I'll give you some examples in a moment, but my main point, if you have to go to the bathroom, if you have to leave quickly, my main point, if, if, if you think of nothing tonight, if, if some of you miss what I have to say, is this, you can trust God's Word. Word. You can trust the Bible, the version that you're holding in your hand. I hope you brought your Bible tonight. I, I believe that that's one thing that I'm missing from where I'm preaching now to when I first started preaching here at Fountainhead uh, some five or six years ago. When I first started preaching here five or six years ago, I entreated you, I implored you, I, I encouraged you every Sunday to bring your Bible, to not just take my word for it. I may be lying to you. I may be telling you something that's not true. It is fashionable to have a Bible app on your telephone. Learn how to use it. If that's the Bible that you want to carry, learn how to use it. Learn how to use your Bible. Become familiar with your Bible, with your version. If you don't have one, the church here will provide you with a Bible. 
The elders here want you to know the truth of God's Word. And I'm telling you, all you got to do is ask me and I'll make sure that you get a Bible. As a people, as a nation, as a community, a congregation, we have got to get back to the standard, the authority, which is God's standard, God's authority, the Bible. Neil Lightfoot says in the conclusion of his great work, How We Got the Bible. Tracing the Bible down through the centuries presents the human side of how we got the Bible. From a different standpoint, the story of how we got the Bible begins and ends with God. God is light, the source of light, both physical and spiritual. Ultimately then, the question of how we got the Bible leads us to the throne of God. And tonight, I want to lead you to the throne of God. I want you to understand the standard, the authority. I want you to understand the words of Jesus when he said in Mark chapter 13, verse 31, heaven and earth, he says, will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. All the things we touch, all the things we see, the cars in the driveway, the homes that we lay our heads in are all going to be gone. They're all going to be gone. But not the Word of God. The words of Jesus, it says, will never pass away, but the world will. So whom should you follow? This passage and others like it it's the reason it's so important to have confidence in the Bible that you hold in your hand. Hey, here's a, here's a homework assignment. You know, the History Channel tonight starts a 10-part series called The Bible. Okay? They start a 10-part series called The Bible. It's supposed to be huge on the History Channel. Get your Bible out and follow along. See if what they're telling the masses is the truth or not. It's so important to have confidence in the Bible that you hold in your hand. The New Testament was written in Greek, and no matter, no matter how good the translator was, they still gave us nothing more than a translation. Okay? Guy in Wood said this. He said in his little book, How to Read the Greek New Testament, he said this, The effort to transfer meaning of the text from one language to another by translation is comparable, he says, to playing music on a violin which was originally written for a piano. While such an attempt is possible to reproduce the melody, yet the subtle undertones intended by the composer are lost. I want you to know that you can trust your Bible. One of the things that we've got to look at when we look at Scripture in the Bibles that we hold in our hand is the punctuation. Again, the Bible originally was written in Greek. No punctuation whatsoever. No punctuation whatsoever. No, no commas, no exclamation points, no periods, no question marks, no semicolons or colons, no quotation marks. 
So what you have in your hand, how do you know that it's accurate? My friend that I've been studying with, this is where your handout, I hope some of you got it. If you don't, I'll give you my copy later on. This is where your handout's going to come into play. Where your handout's going to come into play. Here, have you ever thought much about the comma? It's just a symbol, right? That's all it is, a symbol. And if you remember reading first, second, and third grade, you remember your teachers taught you how to read, and they taught you to read with inflection. They taught you to, for your voice to go up when you got to the question mark. They taught for you to, they, they, to be a little stronger when you got to the exclamation point. When you got to the period, you were supposed to stop reading in the sentence, right? When you got to the comma, what were you supposed to do? You were supposed to pause. Not totally stop, but pause. Commas are huge. In English, they mean a lot in English. And this little symbol, this little character is being used against the truth. Let me show you how. This is what Luke Chapter 23, verse 43 says, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, who he's talking to here? Who he's talking to here? Jesus is on the cross. The thief has asked Jesus to save him, basically. And Jesus tells the thief, while they're both hanging on the cross, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. But notice where the comma goes, where the false teacher wants it to go. Notice. Do you see it? Do you see how subtle it is? How little of a thing it is? Now read it, they say. Now read it. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What's that mean, Chad? Why is that so important? Let me tell you why it's important. Because what they're saying here is that your soul does not live on after death. And they use the moving of this little comma. They say, listen, Greek wasn't written with punctuation. If you just move this comma over, you'll see it my way. I want you to look at your handout. And I've got it on the screen here as well. Very first page of your handout. This is all the versions that I've got on my computer back here in the office. The American Standard Version, uh, English Standard Version, King James Version, as, and so on. Okay, I want you to notice each and every version in the handout, each and every version that you're going to see here on the screen, okay, and notice where the comma is. Could they all be wrong? Did all these translators translate the Bible incorrectly from the King James, the American Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the New American Standard Version of 1977, and the New American Standard Version of 1995, the New International Version, the Young's Literal Translation? Look, and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, which means today, right now, when I go, you're going. Do you see? And, and look, look, look. 
says here in the NIV, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. New American Standard, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I say to you, Revised Standard Version, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, American Standard Version, the most literal version, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Over and over and over and over again, the translators from the New Testament into English put the comma there for the English listener, for the English reader, except for one version that I have in my office. You know what version that is? Let me show you. It's the New World Version, the Jehovah's Witness Bible. And look what they put. And he said to him, truly I tell you today... Notice what they do. Notice how they move that little comma and make things totally different. Now, when I presented this to my friend, do you think he changed his mind and wept and repented? No, because he would have to undo years of false doctrine. He would have to peel an onion that had many layers. Hey, don't take just my word for it. Look at, look at the second page of your handout here. The fourfold gospel of J.W. McGarvey agrees. Gospel advocate commentaries agrees. Let me read you from Adam Clark's commentary. Uh, Marcion and Manichees are reported to have left this verse out of their copies of the evangelists. Thus says our Lord is justly, thus this saying of our Lord is justly considered as a strong proof of the immaterial, immateriality of the soul and it's no wonder that those who have embraced the contrary opinion should endeavor to explain away this meaning. In order to do this, a comma is placed after today, and then our Lord is supposed to have meant, Thou shalt be with me after the resurrection, I tell thee this today. I'm sorry to find men of great learning and abilities attempting to support this most feeble and worthless criticism. Such support a good cause cannot need, and in my opinion, even a bad cause must be discredited by it. And I told my friend, I said, please don't tell this to anybody else. But you know what? I went to where he goes to church, and they said the same thing. Hundreds and millions of people want you to move the comma. They take the scriptures and say they're null and void. On the third and fourth pages, what I've done here is if you look, I've tried to underline unto thee. Every instance where unto thee is used, and in almost every instance the comma is placed after unto thee in the King James Version. I say unto thee, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The comma makes a difference. The comma makes a big difference. I want you to trust your translation of the Bible. And the overwhelming majority, the overwhelming majority of translators translate the Bible pretty much the same way. Brother Woods went on to say that 
we owe a great debt to the scholars who translated the Bible into English. He even goes on to say, we may very well owe them our eternal life. Well, you know, think about it. Think about it. At one time, the Bible was only given in Latin. Did people take time to learn the Bible in Latin? No, they didn't in the Dark Ages. They waited for the priest to tell them what to, what to know. They didn't take the time to learn Latin. But when it was translated into their language, oh, then a world of possibilities were opened. A world of possibilities were opened. Now, until the middle of the 20th century, the goal in translation was to translate the words of the original Hebrew and the original Greek to English as exactly as possible. I tried to, some even tried to go word for word in, in a literal type of translation. The most literal of the translations that I have in my office is the American Standard Version. Literal translations are still the best translations to own because they are the closest to the original. Now, around the middle of the 20th century, there was a new theory of, of translation called dynamic equivalence. Okay, dynamic equivalence. What that means is the, the aim of this translation is to translate ideas and thoughts rather than a literal word-for-word translation. It's a loose translation, even more loose than, than a paraph, but even more loose than a, than a, than a dynamic equivalence like the, the NIV. Okay, is a di- dynamic equivalent translation. But even more loose than that translation is, is what we call a paraphrase. And they've been around for a while, but they've really gained in popularity. A paraphrase is where a translator reads from the original and then senses what it means and then writes that down. Okay? Basically, basically it's a commentary. We have commentaries in the library, people's thoughts about what a certain passage meant. Well, instead of writing them in a commentary, what this person does is he writes a whole version of the Bible using his thoughts. Okay, so when you read a paraphrase like, like the message, I have that in my office. Sometimes I refer to it. Let me tell you something. If it goes against what my New King James Version says, I don't even bring it to your attention. You won't ever even hear about it. Because it's just a man's opinion. His opinion is no better than mine. When it comes to Scripture... My appeal to you is to use a translation of the Bible that is essentially, essentially literal. Now, you know, the version that you use, that's, that's up to you. Now, I would implore you to read uh, from the American Standard Version, the, the New King James Version, the King James Version, the, the New American Standard Version of the Bible. These are all more word-for-word literal translations. If you have an NIV, hey, I've got three copies back there that I have worn the back off of. I can preach the gospel from the NIV. I can tell someone the truth and how to be saved from the NIV. And so can you. But I'd rather have a more word-for-word and more literal translation, like one of these four. Again, that's just a suggestion. That's not, I'm not saying if you do this, don't do this, you're going to go to hell. Okay, I promise, all right? Don't leave saying that. Because the literal translation, the, 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 they're closer to the original meaning. They're closer to the original intent of, of Paul and, and Peter and Luke and, and Matthew and John. 
in Jesus. We need to be as close as we can to the words that will never pass away. We must go back to the Bible for authority, for unity, for salvation, for instruction. On our own, we're no good. We're no good on our own. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, 23, it's not in a man who walks to direct his own steps. Authority means author power. Author power. And God is the author. And it's his power. The first step back to the Bible is back to the Bible's authority, which is God. It's God's pattern. It's God's standard. And I've used this illustration many times before. It's like a yardstick. It's like a measuring tape. We measure our lives. We measure our worship. We measure the truth by God's standard, not our standard. his measurements not man it's not in a man to direct his own steps as jeremiah said we must do all things according to god's pattern first corinthians 14 33 it says god is not the author of confusion but of peace we must in our lives work out our salvation according to god's pattern hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 christianity must be restored by the bible or we labor in vain Scripture, all Scripture, is inspired of God. 2 Timothy 3, 6, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Being right with God. We can understand how to be right with God through reading the Scriptures, through reading the Bible. The Bible that we have in our hands. Our English Bible. With all its punctuation. And all its many versions. You can count on it. To lead you to righteousness. The words of Jesus are God's foundation, his, his foundation rock, his foundation stone to build on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, that whoever does my word is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. But verse 26, those who do not do my words are like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The wise will stand. Foolish will fall. What keeps me up at night is that there's so many who hold the truth in their hands. They hold the Bible in their hands, but follow a different authority. Again, what may what may be right in your eyes might not be right with God, and in the Bible is where we can check that out. But so many follow a different authority, a false authority. I have run into many recently whose feelings and emotions are their authority. What if a person has a car wreck and they're going to get baptized and they have a car wreck before they get baptized and they die? Aren't they saved? That's an emotional argument. That's an emotional argument to something that will probably never happen. But if it does happen, I want to ask about this fictional person, this fictional person that you've just come up with. I want to ask about this person. How many times did they have a chance to obey before they got into that car wreck?
of this fictitious person. I always ask that, and, and we, we've got to conclude that emotions are not a good authority. They're a false authority. They can be changed. Another emotional argument I've heard lately, recently, that has no biblical basis. The proponents do spiritual and textual gymnastics to get their point across. Is the notion that God loves us so much. God loves you so much. He made you. He would never send you to hell. He would never send you to hell. He loves you. Why would he send the creation that he loves? Would you send your child to hell if they disobeyed you? Hell is a place of eternal destruction. Hell is real. The Bible talks about hell. You cannot escape hell if you're looking at the scriptures. It's a place of eternal destruction, Matthew 10, 28. Punishment forever is what Matthew calls it in Matthew 25, verse 46. Another false authority is tradition. Things that have been handed down from generation to generation. We read in James chapter 5, verse 16, we read this past Friday in our, in our Bible study, Friday Bible study on James. We, we just finished that up. We read in James chapter 5, verse 16, to, it says to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, right? Yet some say that tradition trumps this passage and that the only way that you can be forgiven and the only person that you can confess your sins to is the priest. Hey, tradition is higher than the scriptures. It's what they say. But Jesus, speaking to the Jews and to all whose authority is tradition, Matthew chapter 15, verse 3, he says this, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Some use what their church practices as the authority. Without even going to Scripture, they just follow what their denomination says. The Jehovah's Witness have their own Bible where they've changed and added words to fit their doctrine, to fit what their church practices. Such as John chapter 1 verse 1. Turn there. John chapter 1 verse 1. I've probably told a lot of you this before if you've had me in a class, but let me tell the rest of you. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the, beginning was the, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Isn't that what your version says? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now let me show you how much difference a one-letter word can make. Jehovah's Witness say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. What they mean is that Christ was a created being. That He's not God. He's not part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's a created being. It fits with their theology. It fits with their church practices. Or Martin Luther, as we talked about this morning. Martin Luther and Romans, you know, and, and many, many mainline denominations today who in Romans insert the word only after faith. 
Faith only. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and ask Him to come into your heart and you'll be saved. That's what they say. Paul in Acts chapter 9, he thought he was right. He thought he had authority. He was persecuting Christians. He had the authority. Ananias knew he had the authority of the chief priest to arrest Christians. Uh, Acts chapter 9 verse 14. But the authority was false. Go back to the Bible to find out how to be saved. Don't, Don't take a denomination's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Some see the biggest crowd as the sign of authority. They've got so many who go there. They've even got satellite churches that meet off campus. They actually have campuses. They've got a lot of people. There were only eight people on the ark. The rest of them died. The biggest crowd is not authority. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13, the broad way leads to destruction. The narrow way leads to life. The biggest crowd is on the broad way. There's few who are going to find it. You know, I've run into many lately who are blinded by the authority of modern prophets. John wrote in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, many false prophets are gone out into the world. Modern prophets are a false authority. Some say the old law is still binding. Some split hairs and say that only the Ten Commandments are binding, but the rest aren't. They say the law of God is still binding, but not the law of Moses. But they overlook all the scriptures that say God gave the law to Moses and Moses wrote the law of God. It's the same. The Old Testament law was taken out of the way and it was nailed to the cross. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Christians are under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, not under the old law anymore. We must get back to the Bible and the Bible only to know the authority and pattern that God wants us to follow. God is the source of all authority. There's one God, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6, who is above all. Jesus reveals in Matthew 28 verse 18 that God gave Christ all authority over heaven and earth. Jesus promised in John chapter 16 verse 13, He promised the Holy Spirit who, with, who will give His authority and He would guide the apostles into all truth. The apostles wrote the New Testament by the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, when you read, you may understand my knowledge. The New Testament scriptures are the binding authority on Christians today. Of God, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, he said, the things which I write to you are the commandments of God. John chapter 10, verse 35, it says, the scripture cannot be broken. This was God's plan for authority. He gave his authority to Christ. Christ gave his authority to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave his authority to the apostles, and the apostles wrote the New Testament for us, and we're supposed to obey it.
This was God's plan of authority. A written document. The Bible that you hold in your hand. The the written document, it's, it's the most accurate kind of document. I respect God's authority as I respect His authority of Scripture. The Holy Spirit guided the apostles into all truth to write the word of truth. And if we ask ourselves, by what authority do we do these things? In religion, I hope you hold tightly to the word of God that you have in your hand. True Christianity will measure what to do in our lives, in our worship, what to teach. It will measure what to believe. Jesus Christ was asked in Matthew 21 verse 23, he was asked this, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? We must ask who gave us this authority, God or man? We must ask the same question. Jesus answered with a question. He he says in verse 25, it's a question that proved his authority was from heaven, not man. At verse 25, he said, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? We too, if we read our Bibles, we can trust that the Word of God is from heaven. We can trust it. Jesus said, John chapter 12, verse 48, that the Word will judge us in the last day. If a thing is taught in Scripture, it's so. You can count on it. But if it's not taught in Scripture, it's it's not so. It's really just human wisdom. We know God's truth from man's error by what the apostles wrote in the the Bible. And we can find that out. And, And people can't slip commas around on us if we know God's truth. People can't add words and take away things if we know what the Bible says. We won't get tricked. We need to be like the Bereans and search the Scriptures, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, so we won't get tricked. You know, when you lay down the Bible yardstick, anything longer than God's Word is too long. And anything shorter than God's Word is too short. Just go by God's Word. I loved Brother Williams last, last night in the Bible study. And it seemed, it seemed almost to some like he was belaboring a point, but he wasn't. In Daniel chapter 2, around about verse 40 through 44, somewhere around in there, it talks about the statue. It talks about the fourth kingdom from, from Babylon being the Roman Empire. And the people who were studying with us last night said, well, the ten toes are ten kings. If you look in that passage, they say it says that nowhere in there. But you see, if they can make us believe that, then it fits their doctrine. Brother Williams was steadfast, immovable he was. He would not let it go. Do not let people trick you. Get into God's word. Get as excited as I am about it. (laughs) Love it. Embrace it. Understand it. Obey it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, we are of God. 
He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You can trust God's word. You can trust the Bible. Do you? I'm coming to the end. Do you? Do you trust God's word? Do you trust the Bible that you hold in your hand? When you are admonished by scripture to sing, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19. Do you? When the Bible says to take the Lord's Supper, Acts 20 verse 7. Do you? When you are commanded to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17. Do you? When the Bible says teach all nations... Are you involved? Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. When the scripture tells you to give as you've prospered, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Do you? When Christians are told if they will ask God to forgive them, he'll do it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Have you lately? When gently asked tonight, to believe and be baptized, Mark 16, 16, to repent and be baptized, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Will you? There's a fountain free. Come drink of it. As together we stand and sing.